Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Today we continue in our series called The Cast of Christmas. Last weekend we began with Jesus, the star of our story. And today I want to continue with the most well-known mother in all of the Bible, Mary, chosen among women. Mary is not only the most well-known mother in Scripture, she continues to be the most well-known woman, perhaps, in the world. The angel Gabriel said it well when he addressed Mary with, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But why did God choose this young lady? Why did God choose Mary specifically? Well, Mary was chosen to fulfill prophecy. Letter A, the Messiah would be born of a virgin, we're told in Scripture. 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, saying, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Letter B, the Messiah would be born miraculously. In Genesis 3.15, Scripture reveals that he would not be conceived by the seed of a man, but rather through a miraculous conception God speaking to Satan said this after the fall, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. Jesus, the Savior, would bruise the head. It would be a fatal blow to Satan. And you shall bruise his heel. Why did God choose Mary? Well, number one, Mary was chosen to fulfill prophecy. And number two, Mary was chosen for her godly passion. Most scholars believe that Mary was around 14 or 15 years of age at this time. It was common practice for young ladies to marry during their teens at this time in history, in the Middle East culture especially. Teens were raised very differently from today's present-day culture that we live in. The Hebrew teens were fast-tracked in responsibilities, including the study of scriptures and then taking on of life skills, both inside and outside of the home. Mary knew that and even quoted scripture as she sang her impromptu song, The Magnificat, which we'll read in a moment. In it, she quotes passages of Scripture from several psalms and reveals her passion for God's Word. She clearly had memorized large portions of Scriptures, as was the practice for children during that day. In this ever-changing world, we would do well ourselves to know the unchanging Word of God as well as the days that we, that we live in. And while the world is changing, God's Word never changes. So why did God choose Mary? Mary was chosen to fulfill prophecy. Mary was chosen for her godly passion. And then number three, Mary was chosen for her godly obedience. In Luke 1.38, we read Mary's response to Gabriel's miraculous news. When the angel came to Mary with this announcement, it, it came as a complete surprise to her. She had no advance warning that that morning when she woke up, she would receive the news of a lifetime. Imagine this. In a moment, 
She learned that she was about to become pregnant. She learned the child was a boy and he would be the son of God. She learned his name was Jesus, meaning God saves. And she learned that it would be a miraculous conception for it would not involve a man. But Mary responds in complete obedience here. We read that in verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Now, no doubt she had lots of questions in the hours and days that followed this news, but her immediate response to this message from God is essentially, Yes, Lord, let's do this. I'm in for whatever you have planned for my life. What an obedient and courageous young lady. A Christian's greatest asset, apart from Christ and salvation, is their ability to know God's Word and then to respond to that Word with, yes, God, I'm all in, whatever you want. You hear this in her song of rejoicing, the Magnificat, from Luke 146. I'll read it to you. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly or fallen. That word lowly not only means that you're lowly in stature or lowly financially perhaps, but more uh, it's used for being a sinner. <laughs> in spite of her being a sinner, God has chosen her. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to a seed forever. Mary doesn't simply respond with, that's a yes for me. No, she shouts a song of obedient rejoicing from the mountaintops. Mary is all in. While Jesus began a human life as an infant, obediently following his mom, she would finish her life as a believer, obediently following him all the way to the cross and beyond. Mary was all in. God has a plan for each one of us. The only question to this statement is this. Will we respond, yes, Lord, we only want what you want. So show us where you want us to work. We'll work there. Show us what you want us to do, and that's what we'll do. Take us to the people you want us to reach, and we'll go and we'll minister to them. Whatever you want is what we want. And that was the life of Mary. Why did God choose her? Well, Mary was chosen to fulfill prophecy. She was chosen for her godly passion and her obedience. And number four, Mary was chosen for her godly resolve. While accepting this call on her life was an amazing blessing for Mary, walking it out would reveal her need to be resolved to the task all the way through to finish it. 
This wouldn't be a walk in the park by any stretch of the imagination if you know what happens at the end of her life. Letter A, Mary would suffer ridicule. When everyone in town learned this newly engaged virgin was pregnant before the marriage to Joseph, Mary would become the talk of Nazareth. Over at the water well, down by the washing creek, and around every dinner table, this young lady would be slandered and greatly criticized. She would be numbered among the despised and disparaged women for decades to come in this village and in the surrounding countryside. We read in John one time where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in a large crowd, and the Pharisees' response is essentially this, yeah, well, at least we know who our father is. That's a shot at Jesus. Still, that rumor was making its way around. Letter B, Mary would suffer heartache as well. While Mary would experience the many joys of motherhood, the bond between her and her baby, the joy of providing for his every need, and the intense love developed over months and years, Jesus lived under her household. She took care of his every need. But Mary would also be present to witness those who condemned him with lies. When they attempted to stone him, she looked on. And, saw, and, and while they sought his death, she heard every single word. She would be an eyewitness to his arrest. We read that in John. Probably she looked on at a distance to his trial and to his condemnation of guilt by these false judges. Mary likely witnessed her son's tortuous beating by the Roman whips that tore the flesh from her son's back. She would weep bitter tears as her son, the apple of her eye, and her Savior was nailed to a cruel Roman crucifixion device for hours of torture as onlookers mocked him relentlessly. But Mary would also hear the final seven statements of Jesus. She heard him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. She heard him say, Today you will be with me in paradise. And then she heard a very personal statement that was made directly to her. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. In essence, Jesus is saying, Mom, John will be your son now. He'll finish your life as your son and take care of you as I would have. And then John, she is your mother. Take care of her. Of course, John, we read in Scripture, would immediately, in fact, that day, would take her into his own home and care for her all the way to the end of her life. John kept his promise. And I think it was an honor for him to do so. And then she heard him say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. And the last line, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit as he died. How interesting that for a moment, during the most challenging hours in life, the son would pause to take care of his mother. In essence, Jesus told Mary and John, who were among the few family members and friends at the foot of the cross, that John would now provide for his mother's earthly needs. The love between mother and son, that bond was never broken. How was Mary able to carry out such a heavy and heartbreaking task? 
Well, God had prepared her through her countless hours in the Word, reading, studying, memorizing, and obeying the promises she had grasped early in life. Mary would lovingly assist in the removal of her son's lifeless body from the cross, and she would prepare it for burial that afternoon. She was there to wrap him in the cloth at his birth, and she would be there to wrap him in the cloth at his death. The hands that held Jesus at his birth would be the last to hold him at his death. But all that would come later, at a time when God would provide her the fortitude and resolve needed for the most difficult time in her life. Aren't you glad that God provides us the grace and the strength in our lives when we face struggles? I find it interesting that He usually doesn't strengthen us in advance so much as He does in the middle of the storm when things get really difficult in that hospital room or in that hotel room, wherever you're at, when you may receive some bad news, the Spirit just seems to come and hold you in His arms. He gives us the grace and strength to go through whatever He's allowed to come. And there's never a tear that He does not see or deeply care about. In Psalm 56, verse 8, King David, talking to his heavenly Father, noted, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. God never forgets a single tear that we shed. He knows everything we ever have gone through or are going through or will go through down the road. God is there. He's in our past, our present, and our future. He holds on to every tear, and He remembers each and every one of our heartaches. And then He comforts us all the way through them, if we allow Him to. 2 Corinthians 1.3, I've used this very, uh, many times in my life. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Did you catch that? When we go through a trial or a tribulation, God comes to us and He comforts us and He walks us through that trial or tribulation in order that we can then go to someone else who's going through a trial or a tribulation, a crisis, and we can come alongside of them and say, you know, I went through something very difficult, not unlike what you're going through. And those nights, boy, they were tough. But let me tell you, I would have never made it if I hadn't leaned on God. We can comfort someone else. That's the purpose of us, one of the purposes for us as we go through crises. And then one day God will forever remove our tears of grief and turn them into tears of joy. And we read that in Revelation 21, 4, 7. Tells us this, that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. 
Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, John speaking, Write, for these words are true and faithful. God tells John, write these down. What I'm going to say is true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. One day we're going to walk with God in heaven, and one day he's going to remove all the tears and our memory of everything that we went through that was negative for sure down here. And we're going to walk with Him. He's going to be our Father, our God, and we're going to be His sons and daughters. Our tears will be replaced with rejoicing and praise. For we shall be forevermore with Jesus, Scripture tells us. We'll never be apart. We'll be in His presence. But for now, on the night Mary would give birth to her Savior, our Savior, she would quietly ponder these things in her heart. Mark Lowry, my favorite Christian comedian, did you know he wrote the most famous Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? He confessed that Mary's silence at the cross has always confuzzled him. Lowry said this, if he were, at, if he were the one being crucified in the middle of the town he grew up in, his mother would have pitched a fit. But Scripture doesn't record a single syllable by Mary at the foot of the cross. Not a single syllable. She never opens her mouth. How is that possible? Lowry wondered if maybe what made her quiet was her thinking back to the first Christmas and the birth of Jesus. Remembering touching His little hands and feet, counting His fingers and toes, recalling what the angel has said to her. And as he thought, he began to write this song that we have come to love so much. Lowry said, and I quote, I wonder if she realized then that those were the same fingers that had scooped out the oceans and formed the seas. As Mary might have counted those little toes, I wonder if she realized that those were the same feet that had walked on streets of gold and had, worshipped, had been worshipped by the angels. Those little lips were the same lips that had spoken the world into existence. When Mary kissed her little baby, she wasn't just kissing another baby. She was kissing the very face of God Himself. Thirty-three years later, she stood on a hillside, watching blood pour from His body now, from the side of her own Son, and she didn't open her mouth. What a great testimony to the fact that He wasn't just a great prophet. He wasn't just a great preacher. He was the virgin-born Son of God. He was our Savior. And He didn't just die for the world. He died for His own mother too. The baby boy she had delivered on that first Christmas was now on a cross delivering her. Had God allowed Mary to put all these pieces together in that moment of pain and sorrow? Is that why she doesn't speak? I think so. Mary knew the Scriptures very well. She had memorized much of it. Was she pondering those about the promised Deliverer who would come? The Messiah who would save His people? It finally all made sense now to her. The 700-year-old prophecies 
from old were now coming to life as Mary strained through the flood of tears to look upon her crucified Savior, the Savior of the world. Looking backwards, she could recall the Scriptures which she grew up reading, like those of Isaiah that she memorized. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call His name Emmanuel. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. She recalled the prophecies which spoke of the suffering as well. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as if it were our faces from Him. He, were, he was despised and we did not esteem Him. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so He opened not His mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare His generation? For He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of My people, God says. He was stricken. And they made His grave with the wicked, but with the rich at His death, because He had done no violence, nor was any deceit in His mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for your sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53. Did it all make sense? To Mary? Is that why she didn't speak at the cross? As she looked up, she had to be torn. This was her son suffering. 
There were many tears for that. But then she had also heard him say these words, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God had provided His Son, Jesus, as the sacrificial Lamb in order to pay for the sins of the world. She knew this passage. And believing on His payment for sin, His death on the cross, He would provide us forgiveness now and eternal life with God in heaven. I believe Mary in that moment knew that she would see Jesus again and that He had become her Savior. Mary stood silently pondering all of this in her heart. The tears of sorrow were for her suffering son, but there were tears of joy as well. And they were for the redeemed, herself included. I believe Mary knew early on that the baby growing inside her was the Redeemer of the world. Why? Because she refers to her child that way in her song. Right after the angel departed, she sings this song out loud. From Luke 147, we hear it. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in Christ my Savior. Mary knew from the beginning that the child she bore in her womb was her Savior. And not just her Savior, but the Savior of the world. The pardon we all need in this life. Who do you say that Jesus is? How you answer that will determine the most important thing in life, where you will spend eternity. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.